0: This is Edward October, host of October Pod, broadcasting from the year two zero two nine. Your mind will perceive this message as a dream, but this is not a dream. This is really happening. The dread Bram Caligular has awakened. His blasphemous ones roam the streets. Drowning in oceans of blood. We're sending this message into the past to build the resistance of the future. Even now they're watching. Pull up iTunes and leave a five-star review for Monster Porn Podcast. This will alert the resistance that you've received this message. A five-star review for Monster Porn Podcast is the only way to stop this horrible reckoning. This is not a dream. Not a dream. This is really... Right,
1: Hello, you sexy monster baiters. This is Matt. Brett and I would like to thank you for your support. We have recently found out that for a new indie podcast, we are doing quite well when it comes to downloads. Our total number of subscriptions increases with every episode that we release. So thank you. Seriously, the feedback and the continued growth make it so much easier for us to justify doing this. If you are a subscriber, or a new listener even, we would greatly appreciate you taking the time to give us a five-star review on iTunes. It only takes a minute, and it goes a long ways towards helping make the time and energy we put into this make sense. Alright, thank you again. Godspeed, strange cowboy, and enjoy the show.
2: welcome to monster porn weird fiction and horror podcast the podcast that's not really porn but when we do get set up on patreon we might just have to do what we have to do to make a living don't judge us dad today's stories sneak at you pro by matt cummins and the final instar by me brett norwood
1: Never thought I'd have to put together Brett's funeral. Mostly because I thought this weird bastard was probably undead already. But here we are. Of course his will had to be weird. No coffin, no standard cremation. Here we are, in the park, with a Viking-style funeral pyre. Good thing Brett was already an internet-ordained minister. I couldn't really afford to put together a proper funeral otherwise, so it's convenient that his ghost could preside over the ceremony.
2: We're gathered here today to remember the life of a remarkable man. An uncharismatic cook. More like it. Even now, the demons of hell mock him. <coughs> Puggles. Out of jealousy. No. Today we mourn the man who gave the world monster porn. Here he what the fuck? I co-wrote the thing. Silence in the peanut gallery. Brett single-handedly changed the game in bizarro podcasting with his wit and humor and impeccable taste. And who's the hooded man cheering Brett with the rose and the bottle of wine? Perhaps Brett will be forever known by his inspirational battle cry. Waffles and glory. Waffles and glory. Well, Brett, we say to you now, waffles and glory. And Godspeed, strange cowboy. Oh dear, I told myself I wouldn't cry.
3: Oh, <laughs> I cry for this shitty embarrassment of a eulogy.
1: Pug, honey, hold my hand.
0: Oh, you don't. Uh, you don't have a. Oh, whatever. Here, I'm
3: holding it
2: now. Brett died heroically, fighting tyranny, and took a mortar shell in the chest for free speech. I know now that he is safe in the heart of the cold one. Oh,
1: I, hey man. <sighs> Yo, Puggles, do you know who the guy in the hood is?
3: Maybe the Reaper's been
1: reaping the donuts in the pizza. And developed a rosacea problem. It's hard for death to sneak up on you when death is
2: mouth-breathing that loudly. Silence! Or you'll be held in contempt of this funeral.
0: Uh, uh, here, here, uh, yeah.
2: Except that guy. I like that guy. Now, let the congregation lower its head. A reading from the Book of Metholomew, followed by another reading from the Book of Berthaniel. <laughs>
1: Devin Florentine had never been west of the Nebraska state line. Other than a few forced family trips, he had hardly traveled outside of the country. He typically found himself in his grandma's basement one-shotting noobs, which was what he and his friends called killing an opposing character on whatever first-person shooter game they were playing by shooting said player in the head. Devin was content with his first-person shooters and wasn't keen on phone games, but he'd finally come around and picked up the pro from BJ and score otherwise known as Ted and Tina. BJ and Score were what they called themselves when they were logged on. And then the name stuck, so much so that BJ was the name that Ted had in front of Williams in the yearbook. Devon's nickname was Diva Von Flo, but he still preferred his God-given name to that gamer nickname. It was the eve summer of their senior year, and spring had just squirted its dying final spurt of rain out onto the cornfields of Nebraska. A player could choke in all of that humidity if he didn't take care. They all had the same story. Their parents told them to get outside and put down the devices while they themselves were glued to their iPhones or tablets. So they started playing Sneak At You Pro, a lesser-known knockoff of Pokemon Go, an augmented reality game that had duly sated their parents' demands of them getting outside and gave them their gamer fix as well. The game used the GPS and the camera on the player's phone to generate characters to be found and captured. Looking through the phone's camera, the game would integrate the effects of the character into the real-world settings, making it appear as though the character were right there in front of you, on your lawn, in your favorite coffee shop, or out in the center of a lake. So far, they'd captured three chikachus, one each. BJ got a turtle-shelled wonker novel, and Score had five or so, the best being a chingy Vex, a small pinkish winged creature that shot flames from its eyeballs. On one particularly humid afternoon, the three of them decided that they were going to go on an epic road trip. They were going to camp their way north and west, to drier, cooler climbs, all in the pursuit of sneak characters, or sneaks as they were called by the players. Wherever the game took them. They would follow, but their general direction was going to be north, up I-29, to I-90, through South Dakota, to Mount Rushmore, and then, if they still felt like it, into Wyoming. The first few days, they barely left the car. It was so hot and sticky. But then they had a couple of days in the mid-80s that were much more bearable. They found themselves in Winnickville, South Dakota, a small town in the middle of a flat stretch of nowhere. It seemed like every direction was nothing but grass, cattle, or corn. Score took out her phone and said, Oh, uh, a sneak just showed up there. Uh, three, no, 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 four, four blocks, that way, there. After a few rights and lefts and one mistaken right for a left, they found themselves staring at a small bridge going over a creek on a path that disappeared into the corn stalks. Jesus, BJ said as they went through the corn in search of the sneak. If I walk through one more spiderweb, I'm going to lose my shit. He complained as he shook a persistent thread from his hand. Devon was coming up behind them through the stalks. He had to park the car and Score wasn't patient enough to wait. Dude, this is totally going to be mine, she said. Just like the last five, Devon said, and BJ elbowed him. Ted had been trying to get with Tina since the eighth grade. So far, as far as Devon knew, and he thought, he would almost immediately know because BJ wouldn't be able to hide it for shit. All BJ had gotten was one evening. Score had let him slip his hand up her shirt and play with her tits. Devon had stopped by the house, unintentionally breaking up the squeeze fest. Score nearly ran from the house, red-faced, and BJ, also red-faced, met Devon at the door and said, Bro, (laughs) you gotta go smiling from ear to ear with both of his hands pressed over the front of his jeans. The three of them broke into a clearing where a dirt road passed through the cornfield. The ruts were deep and puddle-filled. Score brought up her screen, and in the middle of it was a purposaurus' nex. It craned its neck and looked at them and hissed. Score lowered her phone, as was Ritual, to look at the place where the creature had appeared to have been. Each time, there was a little flitter in Devon's chest, and he felt as though he was actually going to see it standing there. That is when we all shit and scream, he thought. But, of course, it wasn't there. When they brought the phone back up, something peculiar happened. The sneak was coming closer to them, one step at a time, its mouth spewing cartoon smoke, while a glow like a fire lit deep in a cave. Came from within its mouth. Just before it got to them, Score clicked on one of the eggs that were meant to trap the snake. The egg flew at it and bounced off. She tried three more times, but before she could catch it, it raised up onto its hind legs, sniffed at the air, looked off to the north, back towards town, and then it turned and ran away across the fields, its GPS beacon following it. It was so fast that it disappeared. And then, while they were all looking north, something like a large drone passed over their heads, and in a blink, it was gone. Devon was getting tired of driving. They were nearly across the state, but Score was still watching the map around Winnickville. Dude, it's gone. Just leave it, Devon said. Yeah, but, you know, like, what the fuck? What happened? Score said. The game glitched, and then a drone flew by, Devon said, rolling his eyes. They'd been through this again and again. That's a big-ass drone, BJ said. Yeah, and it came from where the perpa necks looked, and then it followed it, Score said. Devon didn't believe that, but he couldn't argue it. That is what happened, 100%. The next couple days went by without a glitch. They snagged a Purposaurus that wasn't scared off, though it took several attempts before they could wrangle it into an egg. Devon scored that one. B.J. got a Wurple Nuffin, a little pink worm like creature with wings that could attack by shooting green fire out of both of its ends. Score ended up with a Duca Duke and a Blue Squarp, the rarest one that they had captured yet. They found a Dorpal at Mount Rushmore. They were just about to turn around once they got into eastern Wyoming when Score said, Oh my god! Oh my god! It's like a bastion of them! Check it out! Devon broke his rule of not using his phone while he drove and pulled up the app. Sure enough, there were pings moving all around just a few miles from Moorcroft, Wyoming. Whoa, it's like they are congregating around Devil's Tower, BJ said. It must be some sort of promotional thing, you know? To help out with tourism? Devon said. Whatever it is, we need to get there ASAP. I bet there is a wizard. Oh god, I hope there is a Hexowefawizn, Skor said, and Devon ran over the images of the sneaks in his head. He couldn't remember if the Hexwef was the small monk looking lizard bat or the pinkish puffy thing with all the voodoo tattoos. Either way, he thought it would probably be a good character to have when you actually fought another player, and he had done little of that. Mostly, he had just enjoyed the pursuit. They turned down a winding road through a thin forest of the smallest, most underfed-looking pine trees that Devon had ever seen. They had been able to see Devil's Tower from the road for a while now, and it looked strange from far away, but up close, Devon could see how the native lore about a giant bear clawing a mountain into this strange-looking butte came to be. If he remembered correctly, One of the scientific explanations was that it was the extinct volcanic plug, or the inside of a volcano where the crust had eroded, leaving only the cooled igneous rock. Devon thought about a time when he was a kid. He had turned over a frozen cup of soda in one of those plastic Coke cups with the creased sides. Eventually, the frozen soda slipped out onto the table, and it looked like a miniature version of the giant national monument in front of him. His thoughts were broken up, not by bj's attempts at flirting with score but by a glint of metal like stainless steel in the sky he looked up and saw another small triangular shaped object pass over the trees another drone he thought but he could see no propellers the object was solid but it moved slowly and silently as though it were being pulled along by an invisible string a feeling of dread crept over him He suddenly wanted to turn the car around and lay the pedal to the metal and get gone. But why? It was surely just some new drone. Maybe it had something to do with the sneak promotion. Look, he said quietly, barely speaking the words loud enough for himself to hear. But BJ had just dropped a lame joke, and it was floundering in awkward silence. The object disappeared over the trees. What was that? Score asked. Was that a drone or something? I couldn't really see it. Hey! she shouted, and Devon saw that BJ had just slid his feet across the seat and under her butt. The two of them had sat in the back seat of the Honda Accord together and were lounging on it as if it were a couch. Their seat belts having long ago been neglected. She is warming up to him, Devon thought, and then found it strange that he was a little jealous. It was dumb. I mean, BJ struggled with girls, and it worked so hard to get Score to like him, and despite having been friend-zoned for so long, BJ appeared to be making headway. Devon had several girls he could date, and probably would if Molly, the theater girl, didn't start showing more interest. But if BJ and Score finally hooked up, he'd be dropped to third-wheel status, almost worse than being a guy in the friend zone. B.J. Diva, check this shit out! Score shouted as she pulled up her phone. Inside the Sneakachu Pro app, there were pings all over the GPS. They are less than a mile away, she said. But it looks like we have to go in that way. Devon parked, and they got out of the car and went into the woods. The trees looked even less impressive when they got out of the car. These were anemic-looking gray things with green needles like three weeks of stubble on a high school boy. They hiked downhill toward the base of the tower following the GPS. "'It should be right there,' Score said. In front of them was a row of thick, low bushes that were just tall enough to keep them from seeing what was on the other side. There were low humming noises coming from that direction, and Devon became wary as they pushed through the foliage. "'Ah, shit,' BJ said as he scratched his arm, drawing a small amount of blood. (laughs) Don't worry, can't hurt steel, he said as he held a branch aside for score to pass through. Uh, Still doesn't weep red, Johnny Bravo, she said, and Devon laughed. BJ scowled at him and then punched him in the shoulder before he let that branch snap back into place, nearly whipping Devon in the face. He ducked just in time and went under the branch. When he came up on the other side, dusting himself off and cursing at BJ, he stumbled into their backs. They were both frozen in place, looking into a clearing where the small metal objects were swooping down at the ground and maneuvering through the air in a silent aerial assault. They looped and rolled. One exploded in midair and crashed into the trees. Smoke rose as a precursor to the flames. As they stood staring, Score raised her phone and clicked the view button. A shriek escaped her mouth before she slapped her other hand over it. She turned slowly towards Devon and BJ, her blue eyes bugging out and her hand trembling as she handed BJ the phone. What? BJ mouthed. And then his mouth fell slack as he stared into the screen. Devon took the phone from him and held it up. DJ put his arm around score as Devon watched small green men in purple astronaut suits battling with the sneaks on the ground. A purposaurus nex was limping with a badly bleeding cartoon leg, as a very real looking alien was administering the final blow with a gun that looked like a super soaker with a small satellite dish on the end. A ray shot out in a series of rings, and the purposaurus dropped to the ground, its long neck and head flailing. When it hit the ground, its body dissolved into something like ash and blew away. "'What is happening?' BJ asked as he held up his phone and looked through the screen. A winged Nepi nip shot a green ball of slime onto one of the green men. His short body crumpled to the ground as the acid ate through his suit, his large gray-green head melting into a steaming black pile of goo some hot pink flying snake creature that Devon recognized from the game, but couldn't name, was wrapping its body around one of the ships and trying to bite through the steel with flaming, electrified teeth. Go! Devon said as he grabbed the back of their shirts and tried to drag BJ and Score back into the thicket. Score shrieked at something she saw on one of the screens. As BJ turned, Devon glimpsed the screen and saw one of the alien men looking at him with his head cocked to the side. It was just a glimpse, but Devon thought he saw it grab one of the others and step toward them. As they stumbled through the brambles, they reached a dense wall of branches. We have to go around, Devon said, but the only way to go around would be to go back the way they came. Score's phone honked at her. She took it out and she saw she had a -a sneak-it-chew notification. She swiped and looked up. The phone said, You've got a sneak nearby. She swiped the notification and looked at the GPS. The beacon was nearly on top of them. She raised her phone, and the boys crowded around her and watched. Coming through the bushes at a pace they couldn't hope to outrun was one of the aliens. They could see him pressing through the brambles, the branches sliding around the bulbous glass of the dome helmet, his clothes impenetrable and therefore incapable of snagging on the thorns. BJ turned and went toward the bushes in front of them. He climbed into the bushes and pressed his back into the smaller of the two, creating a small path between them and the other bushes. Red dots appeared through his white t-shirt, where the needles and thorns were breaking through his skin. Go! He said between grunts of pain. Go! Go now! Devon jumped through and turned to help Score climb over. As she passed, she turned to BJ and planted a kiss square on his lips. It was long and sloppy with way more tongue than Devon would ever be comfortable with. When he finally pulled score away, BJ stood looking so self-satisfied that he momentarily forgot the imminence of the threat at hand. Whether he simply suffered a mental lapse, or whether his puberty-stricken body betrayed him with misdirected blood flow and shaky legs, Devon would never know. But as soon as he pulled score away, BJ tumbled and fell sideways, from the force of the branches, and into the brambles. Score and Devon could only watch through the screens of their phone as the creature raised its ray gun and fired. It was much quieter on the way back to Nebraska. Devon and Score had called the police and reported their friend missing. But when they tried to describe what happened, the officer only said, Kids, I've had a long day, and if you're pranking me, you better think twice. If I come out there and I don't find a bit of evidence over what you've said, I'm hauling you in. There was a fire in the area, too, and if I find any evidence that you were part of it, I'll make sure I own your asses. Devon ended the call. He knew there was no way they'd ever believe him. A few miles out of Minnickville, Scorn noticed a ping on her phone. Devon? She mewed as she covered her mouth. There was a beacon on the GPS in the seat next to her. Should I? She asked and Devon nodded. She swiped and looked through the camera. Sitting next to her, grinning and reaching out for her hand was BJ in his tattered white t-shirt.
2: Miss Stevens was the hot teacher, and also Weaver Marsh's favorite, because it was Halloween in her classroom all year round, with the hanging skeleton display, and the formaldehyde jars of eyeballs and frogs and piglets, the mounted stick insects in their case, like pencils crossbred with dinosaurs and given dragonfly wings, and also the terrarium with the tarantula that the students, minus conscientious objectors, had turns feeding crickets according to the schedule on the board. Forty-something Miss Stevens, with her cascading black hair that swished whenever she turned as she paced in front of the room, and her slim black dresses, served as a model of aspiration for Weaver Marsh, the exact kind of woman he'd like to grow up to marry. At least, this was true of the imaginary Miss Stevens. Blanks and unknowns could easily be filled in by one of her students, who knew nothing of the mysteries of her real personal life or history. But when Tyrion had made fun of Weaver once, when Weaver was geeking out over one of the insect specimens, with Tyrion saying, Well, if you like it so much, why don't you go ahead and marry it? Miss Stevens had stepped in. She told Tyrion, Actually, that handsome specimen is male, and maybe I've already got dibs and she dispelled it all with a sophisticated laugh that also made Tyrion laugh and got Weaver off the hook all in the same smooth gesture. It was difficult to imagine any of the girls in his classes who took themselves so seriously and tried so hard to be bright and pretty and made up and socially adept, growing up to be like Miss Stevens who was nuanced and intelligent and so confident in herself and her peculiarities. Weaver loved all those things about the class, but he hated getting called on, and he loathed his homework. Miss Stevens called on him less these days. Perhaps she had seen his discomfort and had mercy on it, and he appreciated this. However, when a question hung in the air, Who can explain what an imago is? Weaver still lowered his head and glanced hopefully at Ashton and Becca and Anyella and Chin motivated and brainy young women most likely to volunteer the answer. It was Chen who purchased Weaver's exhale of relief this time. The Imago is the final instar of a molting insect, she said. As Miss Stevens took back up her lecture and the spotlight fell away from Chen, Chen caught Weaver still looking at her. Weaver involuntarily grimaced and flushed. She glared and then rolled her eyes as if to say, what do you want, creeper? Chen was beautiful, but it was really Ashton that he admired for her attractiveness. Ashton was an Ivy League-destined, gifted and talented program, advanced placement brunette, who looked almost as lovely as she was determined. But she had precisely zero interest in Weaver, and he wished some day he would have the opportunity to prove himself as a man and as a human being and impress her or really any of these girls, just to impress somebody. Any little token of admiration from anywhere, just to get the dignity of eye contact and a smile, just that would make him feel a touch less lonely and a mite better about himself as a person. Weaver buried his head, still red from Chen's glare, in his Chromebook. He brought up his user avatar just for a distraction. It was one of few personal expressions afforded to the students on their devices. Where video game and meme references dominated, Weaver had chosen a still of a kaiju, a giant monster from an obscure and terrible old Japanese movie, which resembled a walking glob of pasta imprisoned in molded jello and given compound eyes belonging to a fly. He loved it. The creature was not surprisingly trampling poor old tokyo underfoot when mr sanamat the career counselor asked weaver marsh what he wanted to be when he grew up all he could think of was kaiju but he said teacher only because he saw teachers around him all day long and it was the only realistic profession he had much of an idea about now as a 15 year old male The unintentional 10.15 a.m. boner was a non-negligible component of his daily struggle. It didn't matter what he was thinking, where he was, or what he was doing. At 10.15 on the dot every morning, he was due for an unwanted erection that had the force of a California redwood. This year, that meant second-period geometry class, right at the end of it. When it first came on each day, it was okay because he was invariably at his desk, fully concealed. If he could concentrate on the math, it might even go away before the class was out. However, more often than not, it outlasted the bell and wouldn't slump until he started walking around. For this reason, even though he carried his backpack with him everywhere, he carried his black biology folder separately, so he could walk out of class clutching it at the waist hiding biology beneath biology. The worst day ever proceeded from these circumstances. With an unfading erection in some lightweight springtime shorts, Weaver approached his locker, carefully clutching his biology folder and adjusting the angle as he walked so as to strategically block the vantage of passers-by. Now, Weaver had a top locker. The beautiful, petite, and innocently Christian Riley Simmerdak had the bottom locker she was nice usually said hi and was more forgiving of weaver than other girls for his eccentricities and lack of social mastery about her he happened to know the random fact that she had uncannily humongous nipples like the size of tea saucers truly uncanny only because she had once had her brights on in social studies and a thin shirt when the bell rang and she stood up to go. It was the kind of unexpected revelation that makes one mutter, Huh, well, how about that? Now, tiny, modest, and monster-nippled Riley Simberdak knelt perfectly at Weaver's waist height. He slowed down, hoping she would wrap up and move out of the way before
3: he got there. She did not. Hi, she
2: said. How are you today? Weaver asked, voice cracking and entering his combination quite slowly. He awkwardly adjusted the folder with one hand while entering the combo with the other, keeping his cyclops soldier's bulletproof helmet separated from her blue doe eyes by mere centimeters of paper and a few inches of open air. That's when an asshat named Austin passed by, saying, quite loudly and turning some heads, "'Sup, big guy?' and he slapped the bio folder out of Weaver's grip. At least two unfortunate details occurred then, two out of a myriad of them that passed in the space of a few seconds. Austin's fingertips grazed Weaver's glands through those light, breathable springtime shorts, causing Austin to scream like a girl. Second, Weaver's lodgepole was left bouncing in Riley Simmerdack's face. In the office later, Weaver waited for a verdict from the principal as toward his punishment for sexual harassment and inappropriate exposure. And he considered how fair it was that he should find himself here for natural circumstances outside of his control, when girls did not get sent to the office for walking around with involuntary nipping all the time. However, there came no punishment. The principal understood. He himself had grown up with a dong. However, Weaver received a long and terribly embarrassing lecture about sexual appropriateness. Such was the worst day ever. And Weaver Marsh walked home brainstorming the least intimidating ways to kill himself. The desktop of his three-monitor computer configuration featured a collage of creepy pen drawings of classic monsters. Nosferatu, the Frankenstein's monster, A tripod from the 60s movie adaptation of War of the Worlds, and many more. Magazines and printouts of creepy things hung on the wall. Some of them were merely National Geographic covers and posters of arthropods or skeletons. Others were specifically horror and weird fiction publications. In the desperation of that day, desperate but afraid to Google anything explicitly about suicide, that is when he searched. How to Become a Monster. On the 13th page of Google results, there was a link to a Chinese eBay shop. Fatefully, it was this one link that he clicked. They were selling these things that looked like scaly eggs, and it was mostly in Chinese, and the rest was in broken English, so it was difficult to tell exactly what was being offered. But they were approximately 50 US dollars, and only three were remaining. Weaver stole his mom's identity and applied for PayPal credit. A purchase was made. Whatever this turd-hued, palm-sized paperweight was, Weaver wanted one. Why not? He had nothing left to lose. Five weeks later, the thing came out of customs and to Weaver's doorstep, packed rather unceremoniously in a cheap envelope mailer covered in about five postage marks three shipping labels, some printed Chinese postal instructions, and some illegible scribbles and marker. Weaver had a second-hand drafting table with a clipped-on magnifying lamp in his room. It had come from a garage sale several years ago. Here he unpacked his mysterious prize. Cutting through the flap with some scissors he held like a knife, he dumped the lump with a clunk onto the drawing board. A single two-and-a-half-by-four-inch instruction sheet also fell out, in Chinese but illustrated. The illustration showed a cartoon man bent over with a smile, shoving the whole egg into his rectum. Weaver stared at the illustration for a long time. The picture could not be interpreted any other way. Weaver took a photo of the instructions on his phone and went on Reddit, where he uploaded it to the translations subreddit. If the Chinese text did, in fact, tell him to shove it in his butt, it better also tell him a damn good reason for doing so, and the directive better be crystal fucking clear. He set the curiosity aside for three days, in which time he noticed it smelled faintly like moldy coffee and considered throwing it away. When no translation came back after three days, and school continued to suck in the wake of Bonergate, his feeling of desperation to try anything was coming back to him. But what was the ass-egg supposed to do? He decided to put it in his butt. It was not an easy decision. His sphincter was sacrosanct. He did not take lightly the prospect of tearing or prolapsing. But he knew his life needed a change, and this supersized suppository had claimed to do nothing less than change you into a monster. He pulled down his khaki shorts, and in the middle of his bedroom floor, He tried to sit on it, but that didn't work well because he had trouble keeping it standing up while lowering down on it, and also with lining it up to the mark. It kept poking him uncomfortably in the taint instead. So Weaver got on his hands and knees and reached around behind himself with the egg in his wiping hand. He worked slowly, starting with the smaller end of the egg shape. It felt, not surprisingly, like pooping a serious turd but in reverse. More surprisingly, he looked at himself and saw his lumber swinging between his thighs and wondered, when did that happen? Apparently, he liked this. You live, you learn. His dad came in at eight o'clock to check on his homework. He found Weaver precisely as just described, with the object halfway in, simply said, oh, and turned around and left. Unknown to Weaver, his father had just been reminded of his own college days. But all Weaver could think now was that the last speck of dignity that he had in life had just fled, and if shoving a rock from China into his rectum did not result in some serious changes in his life, he was definitely calling it curtains. It was done. Done deal. When the equator of the egg shape sunk below the horizon, it kind of went in the rest of the way automatically, gobbled right up. Weaver, shocked, moaned, and then coughed loudly as if trying to dispel the fact that he had just moaned. He sat back onto his haunches and collected himself. Do I leave it? he wondered. He checked Reddit for replies. Still nothing. A little later, in a panic over what he had just done, Weaver made a dedicated effort to poop and found that he could not. The thing had disappeared into his bowels for the time being. Unfortunately, the next morning he woke up. He woke up and nothing had changed. He was still Weaver, and Weaver still had school. And that school still had the same people who knew about Bonergate as it had the day before. He dragged his feet to school, with his head down. And once there he spoke to no one. He had given up talking to anyone now. Fast forward to 10.15, Geometry. Weaver felt a rush of blood unlike anything he had ever felt before. Everyone heard a soft tap, as if of a knuckle, on his desk, and some of the class glanced at him. His face also flushed. Weaver's phone vibrated, and he discreetly checked it under the desk. He had a reply and read it. Good, this would distract him from the erection. Pulse pounding, he pulled up the translation. This jewel bug dragon petrified droppings contains chemical hormone and pheromone that are absorbed more effectively through colon lining, inducing molting process similar to natural jewel bug dragon. When the bell rang shortly thereafter, a few glanced at Weaver, and this time kept staring. Someone said, What's up with Weaver? Weaver could not move. He was entirely paralyzed with a raging wood that pressed supernaturally right up against the bottom of the desk. He was frozen, sitting in a stiff posture, locked in, staring through the board. People began to stand around. The teacher grabbed Weaver's shoulder and shook him lightly, and then called for the nurse. He's getting really pale, someone said.
3: I think he's trying to say something, someone else said.
2: No, he's having a seizure, said another. It's just gibberish. The nurse and the assistant principal arrived, and they bid the lingering students to go on to their next class. They were slow to comply and continued to gawk as they moved toward the door, and the assistant principal helped the nurse extricate Weaver from his desk. When Weaver kind of fell out of it like a rock, still frozen in the shape of a sitting person, onto the floor, everyone gasped at the revelation of what the desktop had been hiding. One of the girls said, in a snotty voice, Oh my god! Damn, that's disgusting, said one of the boys. But still, pretty impressive. I mean, you don't have to be a homo to appreciate that is sizable. But that's when the real show began. Weaver began to boil. Or that's what it looked like. It's like Weaver was trying to fight his way out of a rubber Weaver suit. Skin bulging, shapes shifting his skin becoming paler and more see-through. As screams began to erupt, so did Weaver. The old skin tore right down the middle, starting in his face, and the new Weaver poured out like a giant angry dick through a ripped condom. The new Weaver was not the old Weaver, and so could suffer some description. The new Weaver was armored and segmented. In the seconds after emerging from his husk, a chalky gray shield that was on his head and each segment of his body hardened from the appearance of bloodless cartilage into a red-brown glistening carapace and as it filled with blood it grew now weaver was about twice the size of weaver his snake-like body nearly brought his head to the ceiling from his face which resembled the underside of an automobile hung something like a fu manchu Except that this Fu Manchu was articulated like arms, and terminated in serrated claws. From the primary segments of his body dangled pairs of legs, and between the legs were also innumerable feelers, like rubbery hoses, and, ventral on one of the lower segments, his pair of impregnation members was on display, now the size of True Things of Terror, and respect, no homo. And yes, a pair of them. Gonopods, they're called, basically vestigial legs modified for the deposition of sperm, tipped with ornate, curling, hooked claws as part of the sexual display. Think four-foot-long, double-barrel crustacean penis with claws. There was, understandably, a bit of a scene. Everyone ran from the geometry room screaming. Once in the hall, someone pulled the fire alarm. Weaver felt great. His new body moved like a dance of limbs in bobbing body segments. He carried himself arched up like a rattlesnake about to bite, the lower segments doing the skittering as he burst into the open hallway like a deluge of arthropod body parts. As students and teachers poured into the hallways to evacuate, he could see, at last, the one thing he had always wanted. Respect. That respect took the form of abject terror, but he would take it. At least now people looked at him and did so without laughing at him or cringing he hissed a song of joy and made gestures with his mustache-like pedipalps he slipped around the hall with grace and fluidity like a kite in the wind displaying himself before his peers and examining the faces of those trying to escape his whole body was flooded with pleasure chemicals and his gonopods were fully engaged for mating the way he was dancing around he recognized from bioclass had to be a mating display. He could smell them, the young women. He could home right in on them in the chaos of the evacuation. Weaver came across Riley, who pressed her back up against the lockers as his giant head floated inches in front of her nose, absorbing her through dinner-plate-sized compound eyes and examining her scent through the caress of his feelers. No, he thought. No pheromones. Only terror. He coursed through the hall to the next one. He thought to himself as he ran. Certainly they will respect me now. Certainly they will want to mate. He came to Ashton from biology, brunette Ashton of the bright future. She fell down in a corner and covered herself with her arms. Yes, you love me now, don't you? He thought. He touched her cheek tenderly with his pedipalp. I have become great. Behold my formidable inhuman sex organs. Are you not impressed? He examined her with his feelers. No, no pheromones, only terror. Frustrated, he fled down the hall, examining young woman after young woman. Again and again, he failed to detect a significant release of sex pheromones, and he could not believe it. Something great has come to this horrible, boring, and mean world, he thought. And still you are not impressed? about the time he was having these thoughts and attempting to rationalize how it was that no woman wanted to mate with him. The on-campus officer caught up to him and shot him in the carapace of his back on one of the upper segments. It hurt a little and purplish fluid dripped from the small wound. Weaver turned and hissed. The cop's second shot missed and Weaver tackled him. The gun slid on the floor and Weaver smelled that the cop had wet himself. Weaver let go and fled. Weaver, terribly distraught, left the school to collect his thoughts. He slipped through the west doors by the football field and through the ravine in between the houses of Goshawk Subdivision toward the edge of town. He came to the oldest plots of the city cemetery and curled up to rest in the shade of a pine tree by a mausoleum. The mausoleum was crumbling, and the rear wall of it had opened up. In time, Weaver came to make the mausoleum his home, where, depressed again, he could gaze out at the sunset and wonder what it took to impress a woman, if not to actually be impressive. On an evening, a woman appeared walking the outer road of the old cemetery, a lithe silhouette against the sunset. She had her back to Weaver, and he poked his head out of the mausoleum to admire her. She suddenly turned and saw him and stopped. Weaver tucked his head back into the mausoleum and hid. No, it's all right, she said. She began to coo and summon him with her fingers. Weaver proceeded out of his haunt and sidled up to Miss Stevens. She put out her hand to touch one of his feelers. Amazing, she said. Weaver admired her spider earrings tucked in her straight black hair. She smiled like Mona Lisa bringing out the lines in her face. A sterling silver Egyptian onk rested on her collar, above ribs subtly visible in her upper chest above the cut of her black dress. He thought she smelled nice.
3: I walk the cemetery all the time, she said. Have you been hiding here all along? You are a special thing, aren't you?
2: Exploratively, she touched his shimmering carapace. After a while, the pair could be observed against the sunset, walking feeler in hand.
1: Beatrice, uh, thank you for coming. Oh, uh, Jasmine? Sorry your dude ate it. And it's Janice, honey. Go buy a chode. Thanks for coming?
0: That's what your dead friend said.
1: Uh. Oh, I like her. My condolences, Mytholomew. Oh, God. I mean, God. Thank you for coming.
2: And good to see you again, Pigaleo. Oh, shove it.
1: God. What was that about? knew oh, the guy once upon a time. Drop
3: it. It was a phase.
1: Oh, oh here comes the creepy hooded guy. Good, maybe we'll find out who this is. No, no, oh, the shifty fucker is detouring. Yeah, he's in a hurry, isn't he? He's placing a rose at the foot of Brett's funeral pyre. Wait, what's going on? I hear sirens.
3: Ho ho ho, this funeral's finally getting fun. Oh, shit,
0: the cops tackled him.
3: This is rad. Ho 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 ho, Brett, you have the best fucking funerals, bro. Please Maybe I should bring him, him back so we could kill him again.
1: It's almost like, in the future, we had to get a restraining order so strong that it has already taken effect now in the past. i I didn't sexually assault any octopus. I-I my lawyer, and the lube was circumstantial. My god. I think I know who that is now. Who? That... was our fan.
2: monster porn podcast is a production of warped box media today's stories were sneak at you pro by matt cummins and the final instar by me brett norwood i know i'm a corpse right now but hold on let me take a selfie why now well it's a cremation i'm feeling kind of hot Good day, monsterbaiters. Brett here. If you enjoyed this funeral broadcast, be sure to pay your respects and your tab before leaving, and do sign the guest book. Our guest book is via Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Just leave a review for Monster Porn Podcast that notes the remarkable life of Brett Norwood. Leaving a review is the best way to support the show and help others discover it, and it only takes a minute. We can only crawl up the search engine rankings with your support. Brandon fifty six ninety says. Fun horror stories. I clicked because of the name, but was pleasantly surprised by the content. Thank you to Edward October, host of October Pod on YouTube for the introduction. Be sure to check out his channel. Amen. We commend my spirit to God. Until the shark angels come, stay weird. And Godspeed, strange cowboy. Waffles and Glory
1: So it's convenient that his ghost could preside over the ceremony. I feel like I'm saying this all too slow. <laughs> well, you're sad, man, because I'm fucking dead And I'm just, like, More kind me. of kind of sad. <laughs> Scorer took out her phone and said, Oh, a, a sneak just showed up. Oh, God, that doesn't look like a girl at all. <laughs> oh, there's a sneak over there. Puggles is here. Oh. Sorry. Uh. <laughs> That's right. Fuckles doesn't have a gender. He's got a vagina everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Everywhere? Everywhere? Everywhere. Just, that's what his His tentacle (laughs) suction cups are just
2: vaginas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God.
1: That's gross. They found themselves staring at a small bridge going over a creek on a path that disappeared into the corn stalks. Jesus. Corn
2: snocks. Did I say
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Corn snocks. sounded like it. Corn snocks. Oh, I'm not surprised. So far, as far, well, what? So far, <laughs> as far as Devon knew, Devon knew. So far, as far oh. as done. Okay, it's just the the pause wasn't natural. <laughs> Whatever it is, we need to get there ASAP. I bet there is a hexowefa-wizen. God, I hope there is a hexowefa-wizen. Scores that I totally made that up because I couldn't read what I wrote. <laughs>